0: Today's sermon is one of those sermons that's easier to preach than to practice. We find ourselves, through our series in Colossians, in a passage that's easy to agree with. It's easy to say amen. It's difficult to apply. And that's the, the, the concept of living for eternity. Living for eternity. I've entitled the sermon, Living for Eternity. If you believe in Christ, then you believe in eternal life. And if you believe in eternal life, then you know that this world is not all there is to offer, that there are eternal things that we must invest in, and namely our relationship with Christ. But living for eternity is an idea that's difficult to apply, not simply because We still live in this world and we're surrounded by worldly ideas and worldly temptations. But it's difficult because even as born-again Christians, the world lives in us. You know what I'm saying? There's still worldly temptation. There's still a desire to keep up with the standards of this world. We don't have to hide that reality that for every born-again believer, we still struggle with sin. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again and when we trusted in Christ, when we trusted in Christ, upon that moment, Christ declared us righteous, and that's what we refer to as salvation. And we're talking about our future, that when we die, we will be saved from the penalty of sin. We won't be judged. We won't experience God's wrath because we'll have eternal life instead because we've trusted in Christ. And in our lives right now, the power of sin to blind the believer has been put to death, but the power of sin still exists in the form of temptation, and we still struggle. But the one thing that's very evident, and if we're honest, is that the presence of sin still wars against us. We're surrounded in this world by the presence of sin, but we just need to look in the mirror. And the moment we Express some bitterness, or we complain, or we're proud, or we're impatient, then we kind of see, wow, the presence of sin still lives in our lives. When we get to heaven, or when Jesus returns, whichever one happens first, we will be completely, we're already saved from the penalty of sin, we will be completely saved. From the power of sin, it's already been defeated, but that victory will become a reality. And thirdly, we will be saved completely from the presence of sin because we will receive our resurrected bodies. But until that day comes, living for eternity is an easy concept to accept. It's hard to apply. But the first thing we need to do is to remember that living for eternity begins by focusing on Christ. Christ is the only way into eternal life. And so point number one is to live for eternity in Christ. Meet me now in Colossians chapter 3 if you're not there. Colossians chapter 3. And in verses 1 to 4, we see this first point. Where Paul exhorts and commands the Colossians, and by extension, exhorts us as believers to live for eternity in Christ. I want you to first notice before I read this, these four verses into your hearing, that first in verse 1 you see the first main exhortation, seek the things that are above. All right? That is the first command. Now the second command is in verse 2, and it's saying the same thing with different words. It says, set your minds on the things that are above. So to seek or to pursue the things that are above is also to set your mind, your desire, your heart, your mindsets. It's a new mindset on the things that are above, a worldview that is geared towards seeking the things that are above, right? So with that, let's read this. It says, verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him, in glory. Now, both of these commands in verse 1 and verse 2 to seek the things and to set your mind, <clears throat> they are in the present active imperative. And all that means for you nerds is that we should be constantly seeking. But for all of us applicationally, it means we are to constantly set our minds on heavenly things. And you know that's impossible. Right? Each and every day, the first thing you do is you probably pick up your phone. And before thanking God for breathing oxygen into your life once again and giving you another day you look at your phone and probably to turn off your alarm look at your schedule check your emails Uh, honestly that's what i I do i don't get to the bible until the kids are in school uh just real confession i mean it's pretty chaotic in most of our homes in the morning right um so we're not constantly seeking the things are above it's hard uh when we pray we're reminded to seek the things are above But I believe that the reason why this is in the present active imperative is it's a reminder that we are to strive for that which is eternal. We are to strive for something that we are not, we have to be realistic that we can't achieve it, yet we need to continue to strive to achieve it because it's what Christ has given to us. We need to constantly seek the things that are above, and that constancy gives us that that reminder okay? Paul clearly defines who and what we're seeking. So if you were to say, well, Paul, what do you mean by seek the things that are above? What does it mean to set my mind on the things above? He says it very clearly at the end of verse 1. He says where Christ is. So you are to seek the things above, that is Christ, and the things associated with Christ. Notice it says seated at the right hand of God. Now, what does that mean? The right hand of a king is usually his his hand of authority, right? It is the hand of power, the right hand. So the one who sits at the right hand of God, it symbolizes that Christ has all authority and power, and he's completely righteous and holy. And so seek the things above. When you seek the things above, where Christ is, you're going to focus on Christ, and then you're going to surrender your life and all the desires of this world, and all of your seeking, and your mindset under the authority of Christ, because he's seated at the right hand of God. He's been, he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, and he, that's where he is right now. He's reigning over us from at, taking his seat at the right hand of God the Father, and then Um, In the beginning of verse 1, notice that the reason why is because you have been raised with Christ. So the first reason why we must seek eternity in Christ, why we must live for eternity in Christ, is because of what Christ has done with our past. It's because he saved us from sin. Notice it says, if then you've been raised with Christ. That means that you've died to your old life. You're no longer your old self. You still struggle with your old self. And you still struggle with sin, but you are no longer your old self. You're a new person. That's going to become clear later on in the passage. <clears throat> but if you've died to sin with Christ, then you've also been raised with him. Therefore, as new creatures, our mindset must change, right? And so that's the first thing we see. Uh, the second, it says, <clears throat> not the things on this earth. And so what Christ does for us now, so that's what Christ has done with our past, He saved us. But what Christ has done, presently with us is that it talks about our union with Christ it says we are to set our minds on the things that are above not on the things on this earth why verse 3 for you have died once again it repeats it you've died well obviously the, the Colossians reading this letter have not, they, they're not dead they're alive right <clears throat> and if you're a Christian and you've died then you're already in eternity with Christ you don't need to seek the things that are above you're already above you're already there so, so this is talking about you've died to your old sinful self. Again, the flesh still lives in us. But we've died to our old dead self, our old fallen nature, and your life is now hidden with Christ. Now, hidden doesn't mean that people can't see you. It's talking about union with Christ. Now, we've talked about this in the previous passage at the end of Colossians 2 and throughout Colossians 2, it it talks about dying and rising with Christ, and that's symbolized through baptism. And we've talked about that a couple weeks ago, that when you're baptized, you go underwater and you come right out. When you go under, it's symbolizing that you've gone under God's judgment with Christ, where Christ was judged for our sins, but you come back out. You don't remain under the water, right? You don't, you don't die under the water. You come back out of the water, symbolizing that you have been raised with Christ. So if you've died to your old self and you've been raised with Christ, now your new life is hidden with Christ in God. God's judgment no longer is held out towards you, but that means that we must live in union with Christ. And then in verse 4, it talks about our future with Christ. Right? So first you see our past, what Christ has done with our past. He's, If you've been raised with Christ, meaning you've been saved, he's paid for your sins, he's made you a new creature. Currently, our present life is about our union with Christ, where if we're united to Christ, we must set our mind on the things that are above, we must seek the things that are above, and then... Verse 4, it talks about our future with Christ. The third reason why we must live for eternity in Christ is because when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when Christ returns, this is talking about his second coming. <clears throat> when he returns, and notice how it's written. I, I love it. I wish that we could just preach these four verses, but we got to finish Colossians by December. So, um, but you notice a few things, right? When you seek the things that are above where Christ is, that means that you believe in God. There's a reality of God that dominates your worldview because if you believe in Christ, then you believe in, that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And if you believe in God, the only way to truly believe in God is to go through Christ. Right? So those, those are things that uh, we could spend an entire sermon talking about. But verse 4, notice it says, when Christ who is your life. I love that. It could say Christ is your Lord, because he is. It could say because Christ is your Savior, he is. But it says, when Christ, who is your life. You have a new life in Christ. Christ is your life when he appears. Everything that you're seeking, everything that you long to live for, at that time when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's when we will receive our resurrected bodies when he returns, and we will no longer be sinless. And so if you understand Paul's reasoning, he begins by talking about our new life in Christ, our union with Christ, our future of Christ, and and basically you're a new creature. And if you're a new creature, then you must die to your old self. And that sets you up for the rest of our passage, where it talks about putting off the old self and dying to our old nature. So the first point that we see this morning is we must live for eternity in Christ. We must have an eternal perspective uh, by setting our minds on the things that are above and seeking the things that are above. <clears throat> and, and because of that, we must put off sin. And that leads us to point number two. I put it in the positive. Paul says put off, and, and he says put off and put away, and, and you're going to see that he gives you a list of sins. Put in the positive, it's pursue Christ-like growth. If you're seeking to live for eternity in Christ, then you will pursue Christ-like growth. And Christ-like growth entails putting to death all that is earthly in us. Now, let's look at verses 5 to 7, where we see the first first part of uh, this second point. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So if you're new creatures in Christ then we must put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And if you said, Paul, give us an example. He gives examples that are directly aimed at what the Colossians were struggling with in their society, but these are the same sins that we struggle with today. And so what do you mean by what is earthly in you? And notice he's focusing on the desires, right? It's about a new heart. He says sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality, this word in the Greek is pornea. It sounds like Porn. Okay, pornea, but it's a general word that refers to all forms of sexual immorality, premarital sex, you know, during those times, uh, pornography, lust, homosexuality, um, all kinds of sexual sins, even the lust of the heart, sexual immorality, it's it's an all-encompassing term uh, to describe our world today even. How we live in a world of the sexual revolution. And so sexual immorality is, is one. The other one is impurity. Impurity is a, a desire, right? It's the desire of impure hearts. Uh, your impure heart, your impure, it can it can apply to sexual immorality, but it can also just be motives that are impure. Passion. Passion can be translated as lust. But when you look at passion, It's not just the lust of the flesh for sexual sin because he already mentioned sexual immorality. Passion can be anything that's driven by the same desire where we need self-control. So when you think of lust, right? Lust is where you're longing for something and your flesh is driving you to want something that doesn't belong to you or God saying that's forbidden, but your heart, because your sinful nature is tempting your heart to say you want it. It's the same engine of lust that drives people to be gluttons. I shouldn't eat that. I shouldn't eat that. I'm going to keep eating it. I'm going to keep eating that. I'll keep drinking that soda. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going at it, right? It's the same thing where you're like, okay, one more one more round of video game. I know I should be sleeping right now, one more round. It's the same thing. So, so one of the things that I've learned that's been fruitful for me is that when you struggle with lust, you can battle your lust, but You know, there's only so much you can do is try the spiritual discipline of fasting. When you fast and pray, it's not a magical A plus B equals C, but when you fast food, okay, don't fast. When you fast food and you're hungry and you fast food, not, see, I joke. I say, yeah, I don't fast food. I eat fast food, right? No, no, fast food, and instead you pray, you're training the same way Jesus trained, when he was tempted in the wilderness. He had been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. He was so strong. You know, Satan's a fool. He's like, oh, I'm going to get Jesus at his weakest point. He's hungry. You kidding me? 40 days, 40 nights. He's blocked out all the noise in this world, and he's learned. He already knew how to talk to his father. But he depended on his father, who is constantly talking to his father, leaning into the Holy Spirit. And his flesh was weakened at that point. He didn't have a sinful flesh. Okay, he didn't, let, let's be clear. He didn't have a sin nature. But whatever it would be, see, it was a real temptation. Whatever it would be to tempt him to sin, okay, whatever that is, that thing is, is, is not going to get him because he had been fasting. He'd been training those spiritual muscles. Now, for you and me, we're not Jesus. We're falling into sin even though we're redeemed. It's the same spiritual muscle. Right, that you need to train that that flesh, that lust, that says I I I shouldn't eat that extra bonbon. Do you guys still eat that? I shouldn't eat those extra ice cream and drink like fifty boba's, but I'm gonna keep taking another one. It's the same thing with pornography and lust. Right, I know it's a little different, but it's the same desire. And even if you're greedy for money or you're shopping, you're I gotta have this. I gotta have another pair of shoes. I gotta have another. It's the same root area. Satan just shows up in different ways, to come get you right? So when he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, it's lust. Impurity is a form of impure desires. Passion is lust, and that can include gluttony or greed, which he'll talk about. Evil desire, evil desire. Why would you say evil desire? This is malicious intent. So this is not, okay, I didn't kill anybody, I'm good. But if you ever had someone cut you off, and you're like, I wish they died. I hope they flip over, you know, right? That's it right there. Or you, you wish ill will on someone, evil desire, right? You wouldn't say, I'm evil, but evil desire. God looks at our hearts and says, if you've ever had any malicious intent, that's evil desire. Covetousness, this is greed. And notice that it says covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I don't look at those as two different things because it's kind of weird. He lists off all of these inward sins, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion from within, evil desire. This is an evil acts because evil desires lead to evil actions. But you cannot act and still be evil, right, with a desire in God's eyes. Covetousness, and then he talks about idolatry. Well, the ESV translates which is idolatry, which I think is the right way, Because greed and covetousness... What is coveting? Coveting is wanting something that's not yours. Wanting something that you can't have, that doesn't belong to you. It could be something that belongs to your neighbor and you wish that you could have their property, their goods, their materials. It could be your neighbor's wife or husband. It could be some other person that doesn't like you, but you like them and you want them, right? And if you're greedy enough, it becomes an idol. So covetousness which is idolatry but notice like i mentioned it's the same flesh there's an an engine that's driving all of these desires and it's and you battle that by denying yourself but again last week we talked about asceticism it's not just self-denial it's not just denying yourself and that's not the magic you need to deny yourself and fill yourselves with who Christ. And it makes sense. Set your mind on the things above. Seek the things above where Christ is. Desire Christ. Fill your heart with Christ and the things of Christ. And that's how you battle the flesh, which is going to fill your heart with all these other things. The flesh is going to fill your heart with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Right? And then in verse 6 he says, on account of these things, The wrath of God is coming. And in verse 7, in these you too once walked. Notice the past tense. This is like Ephesians 2. Once you were dead, once you were enslaved to sin, right? Once you were dead, you too, Colossians, once walked. You once lived under the slavery of this flesh, sinful flesh, when you were living in them, but now you're no longer. Right? It's not saying you don't, bat, you don't battle sin. Okay? Now, let me be clear. Paul's not saying that we can literally kill every ounce of sin within us. We still struggle with sin every single day. Until we die, we will struggle with sin. And you know why God designed it that way? So that every single day we will need to turn to Christ. There's not a day where we can say we don't need to set our minds on Christ. Every single day until the day we die and, and, and we go to heaven and we're with Christ... Or until the day Jesus returns and we receive our resurrected bodies, we will struggle with sin and temptation. But we cannot battle sin with the weapons of our own works. We cannot use willpower, strength, or discipline to put to death what is earthly in us. The reason why we have earthliness in us is because we're people of this earth. Earthly refers to anything inside of us that is not of God. And even though we're saved, it's a lifetime of Growing in Christ's likeness to put to death what is earthly in us. Earthly hearts produce earthly behavior. You know, when I was young, I used to go to a church retreat. I'm just gonna get some water. Um, I used to go to these church retreats, and I know you guys have done it. It's it's what every good Christian could do. Uh, you know, sometimes the speakers will talk about you know surrendering your sin to Christ. Maybe there's a certain sin. Um, that, that, that's highlighted for me. It was always anger, um, lust, you know, anger again, lust, anger, anger, anger. You know, for me, it was always anger. Um, anger on the basketball court, you know, anger all the time. Anger and talking to people, anger, anger, anger. And so, you know, as I got older, I was in high school, and even though I don't fully understand Christianity, I'm touched by the message, I would write down my sins. And I would, I would make commitments. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. How many of you guys have done that? Be honest, right? You've written down these are the things, and now you probably just put it in your phone, your Apple Notes or whatever, or your Google Notes, right? And you put it in there yourself. I'm gonna go home and work on these things. How long does it last for in terms of your mission to work on yourself? It doesn't last very long, right? It's like, and, and I realize it's because. I'm operating under the Old Testament law and using the flesh to try to battle the flesh. So I would go home, and I would focus on my own performance and behavior, and I would say, I can't get angry today. Oh, you blew up again. You failed. Am I really saved? You know, and, I, and, then, and then in weeks where I, I was victorious, and I was like, Jesus, I'm so good. Instead of saying the F word, I said fudge. You, you, it makes the point, Right? You know, I don't cuss anymore, Lord. I'm a Christian. I just say darn it and dag (laughs) nab it. You know what I mean, right? And you're like, okay, God, I didn't really look at that girl. I only looked once. But in your heart, you still lust? I didn't curse the guy, but I made fun of him in my heart. So you see, in your heart, if you're using the flesh to try to battle the flesh, it's like looking at the Old Testament law showing you once again, look, you failed. You're good for a week, and you're back at it again. That's why I think, and don't quote me on this, that's why I think, exegetically, Paul did not start with put to death what is earthly in you. That's why I think Paul didn't start with battle your sin." I think that's why Paul began with the supremacy of Christ and what Christ has done in our lives and Christ rescuing us from the domain of darkness and from slavery to sin and then set your minds on Christ. And if you set your minds on Christ, that's the only way you will put to death what is earthly in you. You see, so that was my high school years. Then I went to college. I went to a fine Christian university, the best, Biola University and I had a fine professor who he taught us one day, he says, hey, have you guys ever thought that to battle sin, you focus on Christ? Rather than focus on anger and focusing on, 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 on lust and sexual immorality, you, you know that those sins are, that you need to work on those sins, but instead you focus on Christ. And you focus on the character of Christ. And you set your mind and your heart on Christ. And over time, before you know it, the more you become like Christ, the less you are sinful in your actions and your desires. And I'm like, "Wow, well, how come I never heard that before? You probably heard it, Hannah. You weren't paying attention because our nature is to focus on ourselves. Okay, let me extend this a little more. Okay our nature, the flesh is so powerful that even the flesh tricks you. It says, look, battle me with your own power, you know, right? It's, I know, it's like, it's, it's like Smeagol, but it's it's not what it sounds like, okay, you know, but the flesh is like, come at it, come on, try, you know, okay, I'm gonna go get, I'm I'm, I'm gonna get this, I'm I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be angry this week, and, and you don't even know it that you're so far from Christ in your pursuit of trying to battle sin. You see, have you ever heard of the saying, and I don't even know what to say. I tried to Google it. I couldn't find it. But where when, sometimes the only way to change yourself is to focus on other people. I mean, there's some saying like that, right? Um, sometimes when you want to change and you're dealing with your own character issues, if you focus so much on yourself, you can go to like, Training, you can read books on anger, you can do all this stuff. But if you don't focus on another person, you're actually not going to grow. And here's the example, right? If I'm struggling as a dad, being patient with my children, then what I need to do, if I focus on Christ and say, Well, Christ, what did you do with us? He took our place, He put Himself in our shoes. Then the best thing I can do is put myself in my kids' shoes and try to imagine what are they feeling and thinking? Rather than focusing on myself, oh, Hanley, you gotta be more patient. Okay, one, two, three, three, two, one, right, whatever, right? I'm gonna be more patient. No, no, focus on them. Try to understand them, and naturally you'll become more patient because you're focused on them. But here it's saying focus on Christ, same thing. You can say all you want. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, be, uh, you know, do this, and, and I have these relational issues with my wife, and I need to communicate better and listen better. I, I need to be less angry and defensive. You can work all you want. You can go to as many marriage seminars as you want. It's not going to do a thing for us until we, we we do what the Bible tells us to do, which is to live w- with your wives in an understanding way. And part of that is to try to understand them. Until we try to understand our spouse and really put ourselves in their shoes and get out of ourselves, we're not going to grow. And I think that's what the Bible is trying to teach us, is one, we need to focus on Christ, and then you focus on loving others, and when you focus on others, rather than yourself, then you're battling the flesh, because the nature of the flesh is selfish. The flesh says it's all about you, right? And what what Jesus says is put to death that statement, it's all about you. Put to death the you and you, the old you, Because you're the new you in Christ. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, which is earthly, which is fleshly. Now, verse 5, he gives us another list. And again, we want to focus on Christ, right? And he provides a list of five sinful desires that must be put to death. Five sinful desires. Oh, this Kirkland water is great. So we'll simply state the obvious ones, right? So let me give you, I don't have time to expound on every single one, but we'll state the obvious ones. Okay, so so let's look at at verses 5 to 7 now. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 7. I'm sorry, let's start in um, in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, right? So first, it's put to death what is earthly in you. Then the second command, put them all away. It's this idea of put them away. This is not like put your toys away, right? This is not like the toy's still alive, but you're putting the toy into the cabinet. This is put them all away. Put to death. Put off. It's like taking off your old filthy garment. And to put away here is to discard with your old life. And then it says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, okay, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another, okay, notice, notice that anger, wrath, malice uh, are sins of the heart, once again, but slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and lying are sins that come out of the mouth, right, they're, they're sins that are expressed through what we say. And so, <coughs> the command is put away. Now, anger refers to the attitude of anger, which takes on various forms and expressions, but I won't go into that too much. Wrath <coughs> refers to sudden acts of anger. So what's the different, difference between anger and wrath? Wrath here uh, refers to sudden acts of anger, like outbursts of rage, like road rage. Okay, <coughs> Malice refers to the evil intent of doing harm to others. So again, this is malicious thought. Even if you don't inflict the harm, it's just a desire for others to be harmed, it's malicious. Then you get to speech, slander. The slander is speaking or texting or typing uh, falsehoods or evil about another person, tearing another person down. Uh, You can include in this gossip, like in slandering people, tearing down another person. Obscene talk from your mouth refers to speech that's abusive or filthy, like d- dirty talk, dirty jokes. Um, obscene talk, uh, or even cursing or cursing people out. Obscene talk from your mouth, or, or speaking of things that are gross, right? And then do not lie to one another. This is, this is pretty straightforward. Don't lie to one another. Lying characterizes Satan, the father of lies. And so all of these continue to define indwelling sin, right? And we're part of god's new people so in verses 9 to 11 in verses 9 to 11 it it tells us why once again we need to put away these sinful actions so first it was the list of five sinful desires and here in verses 8 and 9 a list of six sinful actions and these are just examples obviously there's more sins that we deal with but it's really the flesh that we're battling And the reason why we must put to death once again is because we're new people. Notice verse 9 again. Notice verse 9 again. Do I have verse 9 up there for you? Okay, verse 9. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. It's because you've put off the old self, your old nature, with its practices. So the practices result from the fact that we were fallen people now that we're new redeemed people our practices change because we change not behavior modification but because we have new hearts we're new people in christ and then in verse 10 it says and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator and i'll save verse 11 for later okay and next week uh, pastor terrence will talk about putting on that new self in, in verses uh, the, the later verses, it talks about what that new self entails, the character of the new self. But first, let's talk about what it means to be renewed in knowledge. Now, knowledge here refers to true saving knowledge. And at the center of the knowledge is Jesus Christ. But we are being renewed in the knowledge. And notice it says, having put on the new self. Now, when I was early on in my Christian faith, I didn't understand how christianity worked fully and so I, I looked at myself like a mechanic would look at a broken car and i would say okay i have an anger issue so let's just work on anger so i would literally go to the christian bookstore and buy the books on anger it's not wrong to do that and literally one of the books had these flashcards. every time you're angry now we have phones right back then we didn't have cell phones you just pull out this flash card and there's a bible verse that says it tells you to calm down and i would pull that out and i'd rip it up i ripped it up I was angry one time because I got, I, I got angry at myself for getting angry playing basketball. And I, I was like, oh man, I'm a bad Christian. Like, like everybody at this Christian college knows I'm, you know, I got mad and I, I, I got mad at the person. And so I look at the card and the card even made me angrier, ripped it up and threw it in the trash, right? Um, you know what I was doing? I was saying, God, I'm pretty good, but anger is my issue. And there's another issue here. Maybe there's lust here. And maybe here there's some foul speech. And so what do I need to do? If I fix this, and I fix this, and I fix this, then I'm good. And what I failed to see, but, but as I learned more about the Bible, I began to realize that, no, no, it's not anger that's the issue, Hanley. It's your entire self. It's, it's your, your entire heart, your entire mind. You need to become a new person. It's not going to the mechanic and changing out, you know, one part of the engine or changing your brakes, but you and I, we need a complete, be transformed into new persons. And that's what it means to set your mind on the things above, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to become completely new creatures in Christ. And so that's what it means to put on the new self. And so the knowledge is not just information that you take in, but it's saving knowledge. It's saving knowledge about Christ and salvation, and that knowledge leads you to understand that our souls are being renewed. You see, the image of God is is what we were all created, and we were all created as human beings, what gives us value is the image of God, not our performance. So when you say, hey, a person is less functional, they're handicapped, okay, are they less valuable than a person who's not handicapped? Right, if it was up to survival of the fittest, and evolution, you would say that the the person that's more athletically superior is more valuable, we're going to give them more money, and the handicapped person is less valuable. And you know that that's anti-Christian and unbiblical. The only thing that says every single person, including the child that's born with Down syndrome, is equally valuable, even though they're different in terms of how well they function, right, you break your leg, you're still valuable. You're old, they, they can't put you to death. You're still valuable. The baby, you know, is, it can't do anything, needs help. Very, very valuable, right? Why? Because every human being is created in the image of God. That's what gives us value. Remember that, okay? But at the fall of man, the image of God got distorted. And we were created to image God and his love and towards one another and towards the world, and we were called to reproduce image bearers of God. But once sin came in. we began to recreate our own image and man created all kinds of images in this world what happens at salvation is the holy spirit comes in your heart and you begin to be renewed and what's being renewed in you it's your image it's the image of god but instead you and i are not being renewed to look like adam we're being renewed to look like christ so your heart is being renewed to image the person and character of Christ. And that's what it means to be hidden with Christ, to be new creatures in Christ, and to be Christ-centered. And that's why we need to set our minds on the things of Christ and focus on Christ. And the more you focus on Christ, the more this image is renewed and we become more Christ-like. it's because we're new creatures, and that leads us finally to verse 11, where as new creatures, we're all equal in Christ. And so he's saying here, here there's not Greek or Jew. so basically Jews and Gentiles are united in Christ. He's not saying there's no racial distinction. God made us ethnically and culturally different, and there's value to that. What he's saying is that, is that one race is not better than another race. He's saying Greeks and Jew, Gentiles and Jews are equal in Christ in value in the eyes of God circumcised and uncircumcised. Once again, that's historically Jews and non-Jews or the people of God of the Old Testament and the people outside, you know, it's your equal in Christ. Barbarians, so Raider fans are included here. Uh, no, no. Uh, barbarian, we think of barbarians as barbarians like, like they're, they're crazy. You know, the technical term and definition of barbarian during those times, during New Testament times, is people who uh, had unintelligible speech and they stammered. They, they spoke with stammering, right? So, so they, they spoke unintelligibly, and so they would be barbarians. Um, I lost my place in terms of my Bible. I got to look. Where am I? <laughs> Tell me where I'm at, church. Thank you very much. Verse 11. Scathian. Scathian referred to these nomadic people. Now, now these, these scathians... People said, I, I looked it up in the history books, they said they would literally invade during those times and they would drink the people's blood. I don't know if that was a joke. I checked it again. I was like, oh, this is right. Okay? And sometimes they would scalp the person's head and they would use the head as a napkin and they would drink out of the skull and eat out of the skull. I mean, these are um, wretched people. And what Paul's saying is that even Scathians, if they turn to Christ, they're valuable in Christ slave or free talks about the difference in social status right slave and free social status so whether you're a slave or a free man you're equal in christ and he will expand on that in the following chapter and it says christ is all and in all so with that the big idea is put to death all that is still earthly within you by setting your mind on christ put to death all that is still earthly within you by setting your mind on Christ. Applicationally, you could say, battle sin not by focusing on your sin. You should know what your sin is, but by focusing on Christ. Become more like Christ. Look to the scriptures to learn about Christ. And as you become more like Christ, you will naturally put to death what is earthly in you. And we are to do this because we're new creatures. Now, to live for eternity, one final application and what is, what is setting our minds on Christ look like practically? What does it look like to live for eternity in Christ? And here's a practical application. Everything you work on in this life is perishing. Your health and your physical fitness, you should work on your health. It's perishing. You can't stop your body from aging. You and I are going to die, Right? As much as we invest in it, we're not going to take our physical fitness to heaven. Your career achievement, you should work hard. But your career achievement, it's you can't take that to heaven. Your material wealth, your money, your estate, your property, you can't take any of those things into heaven. None of those things can get you into heaven. You're not taking any of it into heaven. But to live for eternity, to live for eternity in Christ, there, is, there are two things that you can invest in, that will be there in heaven. The first is your character in Christ, and I think that one's obvious. If you invest in growing in your character in Christ, when you get to heaven, it's going to be your character fully complete. So why not get a head start and begin working into that new creature that Christ made us into? That's the easy one. But the second one, the second thing that you can work on is to invest in the eternal value and the spiritual growth of other people. And you could do this in so many ways. It could be through giving. It could be through discipleship and prayer. It could be your own family. But when you invest in the spiritual growth of other people you're also investing in something that's going to carry over in heaven. When you get to heaven, you, you will see the fruit of that spiritual investment. When you see the fellow believer or the person that you planted the seed with or the person that you disciple, the person you guided along or the person that you have no idea that, that you decided to give generously and God used it to you know, bless a missionary or some, some church plant and all of a sudden other people got saved because God used you right? So when you invest in, one, your own Christ-like character, and secondly, the spiritual growth of other people, those are things that are eternal, and you will see the fruits and the return in heaven. So live for eternity in Christ. Put to death all that is still earthly within you by setting your mind on Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your mercy, for um, allowing me to get through this sermon. Um, And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will continue to grow us in Christ-likeness. that you would help us to put to death all that is earthly in us, not by focusing on ourselves or our spirituality or willpower, but by focusing on Christ, by surrendering to Christ and make us more like your son Jesus Christ so that we become more and more like the new creatures you have called us to be and you've positioned us to be. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would save them. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.